Hi, my name is Isabella Johnston, the Intern Whisperer. Our show is brought to you by Employers for Change. And also this week's tip comes from builtin.com. We want to thank them for putting together this great list of unconscious bias. This particular bias is more commonly known as peer pressure and relates to the tendency people have to act similar to the people around them, regardless of their own personal beliefs or idiosyncrasies. So when a hiring team gets together to review a candidate's application and any documents that go with them, they're getting ready to have that interview. Conformity bias can cause individuals to sway their opinion of a candidate to match the opinion of the majority. That's not right. We don't want to do that kind of buy-in. Everybody needs to be an independent thinker. The problem is the majority is not always right, which may cause your team to miss out on an excellent candidate because the individual opinions become muddled in a group setting. So how can we avoid conformity bias? Well, it's going to be one of those things that the hiring team has to get together. When they're reviewing a candidate, they have to write down all of the feedback that they have and their individual opinions separately, not collectively as a group when the interview ends. Then you have your team come together and review what everyone wrote down as individuals so that you can hear their impartial opinions and avoid conformity bias in the process. So this week's guest is, I want to welcome to the stage, is a guest that was the top one most listened to audio download. She got first place when we did our competition for the end of 2022, Victoria Yampolski. Did I mess up your name still? Please tell me no. <laughs> Yampolski. Almost. Yampolski. That's right. There we go. Thanks. She is the founder of Startup Station. She is a strategic CFO, a serial entrepreneur, a speaker, and the founder of also a Power Up program. We're going to talk about that for female entrepreneurs. As I mentioned, she was the number one most downloaded show in 2022. So welcome back. Thank you so much, Isabella. It's such a pleasure to be back. Uh, we've talked before the show that I've enjoyed my time on this podcast so much, and I'm very happy that what we talked about resonated with so many people. Yes. And I'm going to remind our listeners, you can go back to season five, episode 222, and you can download that on your favorite streaming channel. We we share our podcast on over 20, 20 podcast streaming channels. It's also available on YouTube for individuals that are deaf. Uh, we do special closed caption and also for internationals. So people, they can find us uh, on Facebook. Our podcast is on Facebook. It's also on um, YouTube and then over 20 plus streaming channels. And the most popular country is the Ukraine's second most popular that listens to us. And I think that's because of you. That is very nice uh, to for you to say that, and I'm very happy. Hello, everybody um, in Ukraine who's listening right now. We are there for you, and we feel for what's going on every day, and we send you love. Mm, yes, that is very true. So we did our little refresh, but tell our listeners a little bit more about you, where where you went to school, and just a few minutes of that, and how you ended up in finance. That's so unusual for a lot of women, right? Yes, uh, unfortunately, I hope that that's going to be more of a norm, uh, mm -hmm. just like uh, in programming, that there will be more women pursuing uh, various fields. 
and thinking that anything is possible. So I'm originally from Russia. Uh, I came uh, when I was 16, uh, almost 30 years ago. Uh, I was born in St. Petersburg, which is one of the, in my opinion, most beautiful cities in the world. And after having visited many cities in Europe, I still think so. Uh, and hopefully um, at some point I'll be able to go back once the political situation stabilizes uh, and say hi to uh, the, my favorite places. So I came when I was 16, I finished high school early um, and I didn't speak any English. Um, and it seems uh, almost uh, impossible now that English uh, is actually easier for me to speak English and to speak Russian mm -hmm. on some topics because I've been educated here. But when I came, everything was a struggle. Uh, and yet um, I was able to uh, go to school. I went to uh, a great university, Cornell. I love it so much. I'm very involved. Uh, and uh, if anyone uh, out there is applying and wants to reach out to me and as an alum, uh, you can reach out using my business email. I think it's an amazing school where they really care about you no matter where you come from, which is, I think, what this country stands uh, for as well, where, you know, it's open to people from um, uh, all over the place, if you're willing to do the work. And um, so after that, I studied computer science. I discovered that it wasn't really my passion. I didn't want to spend my time programming, so I went to do IT consulting. Uh, and I did that in New York, I happened to be in fintech, got interested in finance, uh, went to business school, um, Columbia Business School, which was also in New York. Uh, mm -hmm. Then I ended up in Wall Street and Deutsche Bank. And I actually um, ended up in a very interesting group, which was not usual. Um, there are traditional um, routes that you can go uh, when you work on Wall Street, investment banking, sales and trading or research. And in research, you would typically cover a certain sector. But my group was like a hedge fund where we were looking for trade ideas within the company's capital structure and were publishing those ideas to sell to hedge funds that were uh, Deutsche Bank's clients. And so I got a chance not to focus on just one industry, but every two weeks to research three or four new industries in both US and Europe and get exposure to many different companies. And that served as a great foundation for the work that um, I'm doing now as part of my company, where I also get to work with many founders across some different industries and understand what they're trying to do and what their business models are, et cetera. So um, Wall Street experience was great, but I discovered my passion as an entrepreneur meant that I have to be doing multiple things and not just any one thing. And so I left to actually start the company in media and entertainment. Because what I didn't mention is that for eight years before, you know, starting in uh, uh, Russian and continuing in the US when I was in college, I was an actress. And uh, that's, uh, uh, I guess, a passion that doesn't necessarily go with computer science. But mm. I think that if you do different things, it actually expands your mind and uh, um, increases your creativity and allows you to think outside the box. And I continue to do creative things uh, even now. Yeah. Uh, but because I was an actress, I was interested in that media and entertainment. I didn't want to continue acting, but I wanted to get into producing. So I, I started a company uh, and um, that was my first uh, foray into entrepreneurship. I tried to raise $165 million for a slate of five films for both production and distribution, failed miserably because as a first-time entrepreneur, I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship or raising money or media entertainment. Um, 
but I learned a lot. And I think that's a lesson of uh, not getting what I want and making all of these mistakes was absolutely necessary for my personal growth and for my professional growth because it taught me um, humility. It taught me to do more research. It taught me to uh, do more uh, background checks on the people that uh, you can trust. It uh, taught me to uh, not... Um, try to do something without building the track record leading up to it, which is very mm -hmm. similar to a startup journey where you start with an MVP and then you get a few customers and then you grow it as opposed to raising as your first venture $165 million, which yeah. is a lot of money, even for people who have been in the industry for a long time. So that venture didn't work out. Uh, and after that, I started the startup station because what I realized that the problem that I saw in the film industry where there were many producers who were passionate about their projects, but didn't quite think about how to sell them after they were completed. You know, what stars should you attract in order to attain distribution in their territories? What distribution strategy should you have at all, right? So they were just very focused on making their project without thinking who's going to buy it or even about the uh, target audience, right? And this is a mistake that a lot of um startup founders make too, where they get so enamored when uh, they're creating that they forget that this is a business and they forget that they're not creating it for themselves, but in fact, for somebody else. And that's how you can make a lot of impact. So what I realized is that because they don't have it, they don't have the business and financial acumen, I can help it. And so the startup station, even though first started as a strategy and finance uh, consulting, um, very quickly shifted into financial consulting and CFO advisory because um, it was a very clear need. Either people knew what cash flow was or they didn't. And uh, if you don't understand finance, then it becomes very difficult to raise money and to explain to investors why uh, they should invest in your venture. But it also becomes uh, very difficult to execute and track cash and understand which parts of the strategy are working or not. And so the startup station was born. We're actually celebrating this month, uh, 10 year anniversary since- Wow, congratulations. Thank you, it's a big milestone uh, and a lot has happened. Uh, you know, the company grew, you know, from a little consultancy to what it is now. So now there is also an education arm that's been launched in 2015. I began teaching finance to entrepreneurs in New York. I had two meetups, uh, several thousand people in New York and Boston. <clears throat> it created a curriculum for early stage founders that would uh, educate them on the topics of um, financial modeling, accounting, valuation and startup finance. So that they're in, if they're in a position where they cannot afford to hire a consultant or somebody to help them, they are able to do it themselves, but also to educate them in these areas. Because even if they do have somebody who can help them, they still need to be able to um, talk with them intelligently and understand what they're saying. And they still need to be able to speak with investors and understand what their concerns are. And if you don't understand finance, which is the language of investors or accounting, which is the language of investors, you put yourself in a situation which is weak, right? And you mm -hmm. want to be in a position of strength when you are uh, negotiating for the future of your company and for the future of your dreams. And uh, so that the education hour was launched in 2015. We began doing a lot of um, community staff, social media, free uh, content, YouTube channel, speaking engagements, uh, after that, because uh, I believe that education is the way to impact the most people. 
and uh, you know of course complemented at some point with one and one advice but uh, to introduce some concepts that are similar uh, that a lot of people have trouble with the greatest impact that one can make is one to many and uh, last year uh, I finally launched something that I think is the purpose of my life which is the program power up and that's a program in uh, strategic and financial planning for seed level female-led ventures to help them scale and raise the next round of capital, which is Series A. And um, this is, you know, we're fundraising for the program right now. It's a pursuing lunch in uh, four different regions around the world. And it's been going great. We'll talk uh, about it a little bit later. And uh, I have never been more, um, fired up and inspired and motivated as I am now because I know that I'm in a position to help women around the world to make their dreams come true and I would like to do it because I can you know my so last that's my journey in a uh, in the nutshell it is and my last question that I always have in the first half of the show is what do you want to be remembered for in your life and I would say you just answered that question to have global impact to help women be able to raise money. Yes, uh, I would like to be remembered for that. Uh, I'm also beginning to advocate um, for uh, laws to um, enable fair access to capital for women and uh, minority founders. So uh, I'm hope that that I'll be able to make not only uh, impact on the ecosystem side, but also on the policy side so that there is support, there's holistic support from all sides. But I also would like to be remembered as somebody who um, was kind and compassionate and um, pursued her passions fearlessly. Mm. And as a result was able to help a lot of people. Yeah, those are good. Well, let's go back to where we first uh, began, which was Startup Station. So how did you pick that name? Actually, it wasn't me who picked it. Uh, before I uh, founded the Startup Station, I was advising uh, a startup in a mobile app space when they were just uh, beginning in 2012. And one of the co-founders was um, a very creative guy. And then when I told him about my idea that I helped them to go from pre-revenue to revenue, help them with the go-to-market strategy, pricing strategy, et cetera, and realized that there was a bigger business opportunity. When I told him about the idea, he it was immediate for him. And then I liked that name and that's it stuck. And nice. so that's thank you, Matthew, for uh, Lazarus for giving me the name that is still with uh, with my company. That's yeah. It's nice to have people that inspire us and that are part of the story and to acknowledge them. I love that you did that. So Startup Station, how do people find it? How can they get started with it? And what sure. stage do they have to be? Sure. Um, so um, the there are two ways in which one can work with the Startup Station on the C4 site. If the company is raising money, we can help um, you come up with a financial plan to show to investors, which will be a representation of your business plan. And you can use parts of that uh, financial plan as a story for your pitch deck, for the financial parts of your pitch deck. And once the due diligence becomes and investors really dig in, uh, into your numbers, it's especially important to have a story 
which you can justify, which clearly connects your strategic decisions and your thinking to financial outcomes and substantiates whatever revenue numbers you want to produce and whatever valuation you'd like to get. So uh, companies that are in the fundraising stage can be anywhere from pre-seed to series A, have a lot of expertise specifically with ventures that don't have a lot of revenue because of the approach that I've created uh, once I began uh, the startup station, which is what I call strategic financial modeling, where we specifically focus on understanding your strategy, modeling your strategic decisions as the drivers of the financial model and creating the logic that translates them into financial results. But of course, the same model serves as a great business intelligence tool once you raise money or for any company that uh, is, um, doesn't have a financial model like that and is executing, but especially for companies that are experiencing issues or in a uh, state of flux where they experience rapid growth, expanding into a new area, launching new products, or experiencing uh, any other problems. You know, let's say that they cannot grow, they're in a turnaround stage, they're uh, not sure what their profitability looks like, et cetera, et cetera. So for those companies, we would work with them uh, on a monthly basis and help them solve those issues and help them transition into the in-house team when the time is right. So you can either be on a project basis or on an ongoing basis on the CFO side. For people who would like to learn more about finance, there are online courses available uh, that uh, one can take. Uh, they don't assume any prior knowledge of finance. Um, they're two hours long. There's 100 questions uh, per course where you can uh, practice some of the concepts that are taught and they're yours for life. So uh, once you buy it, uh, it's uh, yours to keep if in case you wake up on a Sunday, you want to refresh your accounts receivable knowledge that is uh, available to you. Oh, so it's ongoing. Time. It's like an ongoing uh, curriculum, it sounds like. It's a, it's available for purchase online, exactly. It's a yeah. collection of different courses that can be bought as a bundle or they can be bought separately depending on uh, people's needs. Absolutely. Yeah. And where do people go to find this? Um, www.thestartupstation.com. You said the startup station, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. Making sure everybody knows that. Well, that's good to know. Um, so let's talk about Power Up. What is that? How did you, I know you explained it a little bit at the beginning, but you know, what is it? And where did the inspiration, let's just go deeper into that. So uh, for the past two and a half years, I've been teaching at the Bank of America Institute of Females Entrepreneurship at Cornell. It's a program that's funded by Bank of America for uh, women entrepreneurs, it's free to them. Uh, it's taught by Cornell. It's a collection of six courses. 70% um, of students are minorities. It graduates around 100,000 students a year. Uh, I'm teaching uh, two courses a month, so about 500 students a month. And even though my expertise is finance, I was getting assigned courses in communications growth leadership, which was actually great because it gave me insight into the minds of entrepreneurs and the challenges that they were experiencing and some of the mindset setbacks that um, they had that held them back from realizing their dreams and thinking about their business in more ambitious terms, et cetera. And I started thinking that my curriculum that exists right now, it's not specific to gender. It's specific to subject matter, right? If you want to learn accounting, you take this course. If you want to learn um, valuation, you take another course. 
how can you create a program for female entrepreneurs to help them? Because there is a glaring disparity in a fundraising arena where only 2% of capital goes to female-funded teams, more to mixed teams, but it's very difficult to uh, raise money if you were female. And there's a couple of reasons for it. Uh, one is um, that you know, they may not have the expertise that's not specific to men or uh, women. You know, startups at different stages face different challenges. So if you don't solve those challenges, you're not going to be able to proceed. The second challenge is, is what's typically addressed is the confidence gap. But I, I now, having read a lot about uh, brains and psychology, started uh, calling it the difference in that thinking gap because mm. women's brain is different. And we perceive risk differently uh, because biologically we had different roles in uh, family and child uh, care, et cetera. And the, uh, on top of that, there are certain societal norms and societal uh, patterns that we've been born into that may affect how we think about ourselves, how we think about the potential of our business uh, and uh, how we think about the probability of something happening or not. And that all affects how uh, we go about entrepreneurship. So the only way to change something like this would be through self-awareness and psychology training. The um, third challenge is that I saw is that uh, women had less access to investor networks. The investors like to invest in people. And in order to find out which people they can invest in, they go to the people they trust, so they go by recommendation. So if you're not recommended by somebody who an investor trusts, it's much more difficult for you to get that access. You may not even know that this investor is looking for an investment in your company. And so uh, we're, you know, that's the problem. The problem with access is a pretty big one. There are some investors out there who say, hey, we would love to invest in women. We would love to invest in minorities. We just don't see them in our pipeline. And our pipeline is already very big. So we, uh, if one wanted to solve the problem of uh, uh, an inequitable access to capital one would have to address that. And the final problem is data. Yes, there is data available, uh, some, uh, I would say, aggregate data in terms of uh, female adventures performing better uh, than, uh, or let's put it this way, uh, the ones that have um, the most diversity, gender balanced teams performing better than gender imbalanced teams. But there is uh, not necessarily data by country, by region, by industry, in terms of what uh, would that performance looks like for female adventures. And so there is an inherent perception of higher risk of investing in women that comes from a men's view of what a woman's roles could be in a family and responsibilities. And I'll diverge a little bit. We talk to a lot of female founders in terms of the questions that they get when they're fundraising. Uh, and a lot of them have nothing to do with the business, but more how are you going to balance your uh, family life and entrepreneurship? Are you planning to get married? Are you planning to have kids? Um, and this is not a question that a man would get, and yet that's a um, reality mm -hmm. that uh, one has to know if one wants to address the problems. So these problems can be addressed with network where people know and want to invest in female founders, as well as the presence of data that will uh, make these issues non-relevant because there will be clear proof of what they can do. So Power Up is the program that attempts to solve all of these issues for one specific segment of the market, which is the ventures that have raised their first round of capital and need to scale.
Now, why this segment? There's already a lot of support available for ventures that are very young. You know, you have an idea, you want to build an MVP, you want to find your first few customers. There are many, many programs available out there. There is not as many programs available for what happens next. And it's at that point that many ventures fail because they're not able to scale. They're not able to scale from 1 million to 10 million, from 500,000 to uh, 5 million. They're not able to not only scale their revenues, but their infrastructure. The biggest need at that point is uh, strategy and financial planning. And that's why, and you know, obviously financial planning is my expertise. That's why I joined forces with my co-founder, Ham uh, Hampton, who is a chief revenue officer um, and fractional chief revenue officer for many startups and multi uh, exit founder who supplies the strategy side. Now, strategy and finance are intricately connected because if you don't have a strategy, then what does the financial plan represent, right? It's just some uh, dreams that will never be executed on because they're not really connected to the company's operations and what the company is planning to do. Uh, and on the flip side, if you have a strategy, but you haven't done the work to evaluate its financial feasibility, the uh, resources that you're going to need in order to implement it, the funding that's required in order to put it into action. You're again in a situation where you created something that cannot be um, executed in reality. So the two come together, and that's why our program is focused just in this area, which is a traditionally very weak area for a lot of accelerators, where they kind of uh, skim over those issues because they're not as relevant at early stages, but they are very relevant the second you get capital and you need to scale. The second thing that we're solving, like I've mentioned, is the difference in the mindset gap. And uh, that is executed as a weekly group coaching sessions. Uh, what I should mention for the first uh, part of the program is that, so the program is structured as the initial bootcamp during which the founders put together a two-year roadmap for them to execute on. Why two years? That's the length of time that it takes on average to raise the next round of capital. And so we want to support them for the entire length of time as opposed to three or six months that uh, other programs have. Um, and so after the bootcamp, they will go through quarterly one-day assessments to assess where they are, make sure that they stay on track and help them to react to any challenges and um, evaluate new opportunities. The same cohort that begins working together in the bootcamp, you know, let's say 10 or 12 companies will continue to meet every week for weekly group coaching sessions. And this is a critical part of our program and what uh, really um, makes it different from anything else out there is the focus on psychology and the focus on coaching. And so these sessions will serve two purposes. One, it will be an inbuilt support group for entrepreneurs to go in and share their successes and talk about their challenges and realize that even if they have setbacks, it says nothing about their potential as human beings or even their potential uh, uh, for their venture. It's just simply part of their journey. And if they change their relationship with rejection of failure, if they become unafraid of um, negative circumstances, they will be able to achieve so much more. And the second part of it will be the psychology part where we'll introduce some concepts in terms of how our brains work, our subconscious biases, how people think, how they make decisions on both sides, because we have to interact with both genders so that uh, entrepreneurs become aware of their thought patterns, which can be unhelpful, as well as very specific tools how to change them so that after eight months 
about eight months of doing this work, they can see real differences in their perspective and how they think about themselves, how they see the potential of their ventures. And it's our hope that after two years, they'll um, become, they will feel limitless. They will feel bold. They will feel unencumbered to try whatever they like and will produce the next generation of female entrepreneurs who will not only raise Series A, which is the purpose of the program, but we'll go on and raise serious Bs and Cs and Ds, which is how you can breach the gender funding gap, not by raising just you know little rounds of capital. The third part is access. And so we're creating uh, a global network of power-up ambassadors who are all supporters of the program. It's already present in 25 countries on five continents. And these are investors, philanthropists, academics, C-suite executives, uh, um, business leaders, and entrepreneurs. And that again serves two purposes. One is, um, let's say we run this program. It's a virtual program, by the way. It can be run in person, it can be done virtually. Let's say we run this program somewhere in the emerging markets. And of course, for any specific emerging market, the hope is to go to a bigger market. And it helps if you have some friendly faces in those markets for you to expand. Mm -hmm. And so by creating an international network, we're making it easier for companies to go cross-border. And the second and very important aspect is what I've talked about before, which is access, right? By having people who know about the companies coming out of the program and ready for investment, uh, it makes it easier for uh, our ambassadors to refer them to people in their networks and for these companies to become trusted referrals and get the access that they don't currently have. And the final aspect is data. I've talked about it before, where there is some data available, but there's no granular data per industry, per region around the world. And this is what we're going to be collecting as part of a power-up. Anytime we have an event in the program, starting with the pre-assessment at the boot camp and continuing with every program event, which is a quarterly assessment, and then after on a semi-annual basis. And what that will do is by the time that they're going to go for fundraising, there will already be an 18 month worth of a transparent track record of execution, which will clearly indicate the level of risk uh, involved in each venture, which is an issue for a lot of startups. You know, they may not have the right finance infrastructure and the right processes in order to record the data and produce those records. It doesn't matter, by the way, here with the male or female lab, but if you have those records, it makes it much easier for investors to make a decision because it's part of due diligence. And so PowerUp is a combination of uh, expertise training, coaching, network, and data as a four-pronged solution to solve for the gender funding gap worldwide. So I pulled it up on your website and I was going through it as you were talking about it here. And I was uh, looking through, you know, you have some really nice diversity on the website too. So I can see that it's something that would benefit women. I think women anywhere in the world can look at it and go, oh, I see somebody that looks like me, you know, whether it was race, ethnicity, age, whatever. So I, I love that. That's super helpful. And then you have allies. You have the male allies that are there. Yes, um, that's very important to us uh, because um, we don't want to, create a program that fights discrimination by discriminating someone from participating. Mm -hmm. And because the capital now is concentrated in the hands of men, uh, it would be foolish not to get them involved and not to get them on our side and explain how much more we can do together, how much more economic impact and innovation and uh, return on capital we can achieve if we remove any boundaries from making uh, decisions. Mm -hmm. 
and you've got ambassadors too and testimonials. So you are like really killing it over here. I think that's wonderful. I saw our friend Andy. I'm going to give Andy Lyons a little shout out there too, because she's awesome. Um, yes. But you, the ambassadors, let's talk more about the ambassador ambassadors. How do people get involved with that? Uh, if someone would like to uh, become an ambassador, they can go on, uh, they can either reach out to me because right now we curate who joins the network, or they can fill out a form uh, on our website, uh, which says, you know, join to apply to be an ambassador, and then we'll uh, review the information and get back to uh, the person who's applying. The role is uh, a public endorsement role, uh, and uh, we want supporters uh, who can lend credibility to the program around the world. We would love to add more countries uh, and expand our reach, or we would like to uh, add people who can help introduce us to potential sponsors, corporate sponsors, or philanthropic sponsors for the program. The four regions we're pursuing right now are US, Africa, Jordan, and Australia, given our connections uh, in each region. So if okay. you have connections in those regions, uh, I would love to talk to you. Mm. Um, now, there are other ways to get involved with, and then uh, just to talk a little bit more about the ambassadors. So there is no time commitment. There's no cost to join. All we're asking is if you know someone, once we approve your application, if you know somebody who can be helpful to the program, who can help us advance the cause, um, it could be media con connection, it can be a sponsor connection, it could be an investor connection or an entrepreneur connection, then you connect us to those people. And that's how we've been able to build a network right now uh, and uh, get unbelievable people involved. And that's how we've been able to get power up to where it is, you know, to exploring lunch in different regions is through, through our network. What do you get out of it is uh, introductions to our Power Up Ambassadors. Once we launch the program, of course, invitations to all the program events. Uh, and then our, uh, you know, if you're an investor, we can um, make our, uh, recommendations in terms of which companies would be the best investments based on uh, how they're doing in the program. Uh, and uh, of course, if there are any uh, other um, opportunities that we can procure from our network, then we're happy to do it too. So it's a networking and a public endorsement opportunity. Uh, there will also be coaches in the program. So uh, the program is structured as a combination of workshops and one-on-one -on -one sessions with companies. And the coaches are either uh, fractional strategy uh, consultants or strategy officers or chief financial officers to mimic the two parts of the program, which is strategic and financial planning. So if you are uh, fall into one of those expertise, we can talk to you, not just being uh, an ambassador, but also becoming a coach uh, in the program once we get funding. And uh, because it's a virtual program, you can get a chance to mentor companies around the world, which I think is very exciting as well and bring them uh, your expertise. So I'm looking for the ambassador ambassador link and I don't see it. So where do I, Where uh, this is a wealth of great information on your website. How does somebody navigate to that? Uh, I would imagine that you will find, you will click on the link, um, find out more about ambassadors. Oh, I see the link now that you said it. Yep, it's down here. Learn more about Power Up ambas Ambassadors. I want to make sure our and listeners then, know how to navigate through your website for sure. <laughs> we'll make sure to put up uh, a link to join the ambassadors as well. 
Uh, I will check if it's not there. Then we'll no, it is. Make... I think it is. It says apply to be. Okay. So, yep, it's all there. Yes. It's all there. Okay. So it's all good. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds fun. And then I was looking at your courses. They look really great, by the way. Really colorful. It catches my eye. You have all types of choices there. You know, being able to create a case study, the models included, um, being able to understand financials, valuation, all good stuff that people would need to know. Women, we'll say women, because that's what women we're talking men, about. Women and men, but for women, for a lot of women, um, I would say uh, finance represents an area of fear because uh, they don't understand it. And uh, it's really nothing to be afraid of because um, when you learn another language, you also don't understand anything when you go to a foreign country. And I definitely can attest to that because when I came here, I didn't understand anything. And then you learn and then everything starts to make sense. And that's exactly like finance. Counting is nothing than just a bunch of mathematical definitions that uh, people have created in order to define certain concepts to help them understand how the company is doing. And you can think of this uh, language as the language with which your venture communicates with you. Right, and tells you which problems it has, where it needs help, where it wants to go. And as an entrepreneur, don't you want to speak that language? That's your baby. So yeah, nothing to be afraid of. Not at all. Not at all. Um, all right. So let's come back over here to like where my show notes were. I think that gives everybody a, a really good insight as to what that program is. And by the way, just a reminder, it is on the Startup Station website and specifically says power up. There's just like, it's so easy to find right there. So you did some really cool stuff in the summer. And I wanna talk about what you did this summer that was in June and in France. So let's talk about that. Sure. So uh, power up uh, had its first inaugural event uh, in partnership with Prepare for VC in Boston New Technology and uh, Born global ventures and uh, a few other um, organizations. And um, the idea was to discuss what's happening on the gender funding gap front around the world. And we were able to bring um, together speakers from US, Europe, Middle East, Africa, and Australia. And the person from Australia attended the uh, uh, workshop at 1 a.m. For time because we couldn't make you know the, all the time zones work and it just speaks to how passionate she was about the topic and she really wanted to uh, bring her expertise forward and so it was amazing to uh, get everybody in one place to talk about what's happening around the world uh, on the funding front and a range of initiatives that are being um, launched in order to address it ranging from um, nonprofit to uh, government to uh, private capital, uh, to corporate. We had a person from PayPal who manages two funds, $100 million funds dedicated to diversity and inclusion. And she talked about her strategy and what PayPal as a global corporate is doing to address these issues. We had a woman representing Vital Voices, which is an amazing organization in Washington uh, founded by Hillary Clinton and uh, Margaret Albright to empower women around the world and then all the programs that they have in place uh, in order to achieve it. They've been uh, doing it for 25 years. Uh, we've talked about our partner for Power Up, Shequity, which is a firm in Africa supporting female entrepreneurs in the region, uh, as well as running an accelerator, which is part of the ecosystem support. 
and uh, another uh, our venture partner in the Middle East, Amon Ventures, and is doing similar work for small businesses and uh, startups in Jordan. And so it was uh, an amazing, um, I would say, uh, way for so many women leaders to come together and to meet each other. And it really speaks to the uh, ethos of what the power up is about, which is the world should come together in order to solve a global problem. It cannot be solved alone. And the more like-minded uh, people we bring uh, together, the faster the change will happen and the more amazing things will happen. And um, we were lucky to have an event in, in the same week as the Invest Her Summit, which is we're in talks with to partner up as well. Invest Her Summit is part of a Global Invest Her, that's an organization uh, headquartered in France uh, that's 10 years old. And they're uh, in business of creating resources to match female founders and funders so that they can find each other and solve the access problem. And they were having a summit on the gender funding gap and the access to capital uh, in Paris. And it was wonderful to have events on both sides of the ocean at the same time on the same mm. topic. I've never been to Paris, but I'm sure it's gorgeous. And to be in that setting, wow, I cannot even imagine. You must have met some really powerful women from around the world. Well, I didn't get to go to uh, the summit. Uh, we did help to raise awareness about it, but I have been to Paris uh, multiple times. It's one of my favorite cities uh, in the world. And if you haven't been, um, I highly recommend that you take a weekend even uh, and go and, and it's absolutely wonderful. I can only, you know, judging from the energy of the event that Power Up generated where we had over 200 people uh, attending, um, I can only imagine what a summit, what the summit felt like. It must have mm -hmm. been amazing. And I hope that it generated a lot of follow through on the yeah. issues that were. Yeah, that would have been hard to concentrate there. But, you know, just because, you know, when you're in a new country, oh, I want to go see stuff. But, you know, the purpose of why you're there is completely different. So I think that trumps uh, sightseeing for sure. So, for sure. so let's talk about the National Small Business Association, NSBA. You're involved with that. You you wear so many hats and I relate to that. But I also know that it can be a lot. So uh, we'll talk about how you balance all of these things that you're doing. But let's talk about what NSBA is. Sure. So uh, in April this year, I got an email from NSBA, um, which stands for National Small Business Association to join their leadership council. National Small Business Association represents small businesses in the United States. Uh, it was founded in 1937, and there are counts around 65,000 members uh, in all 50 states. The Leadership Council is a collection of individuals that have a chance to go to the local and federal government and the media and lobby for the interest of small business. So when they reached out to me and they offered me to become part of the Leadership Council, I told them then, uh, I have one issue that I'm very focused on and that I would like to advocate for, and this is the gender funding gap and fair access to capital, and will they be willing to support it? And they gave me carte blanche to pursue that issue and do, but basically advocate for whatever issue I feel passionate about as on um, using their platform as a, a vehicle, as a conduit to do it. 
And um, what's been happening recently is um, there's been actually so many exciting developments on the fair access to capital uh, front. Uh, Alison Byers, who I don't know if you got a, a chance to uh, speak with, she is a founder of Scrubius. She, I didn't know about this until two weeks ago, she became an advocate and uh, uh, ideated a bill that's been signed by Senate in California about uh, fair access to capital for women and minorities. It's a bill number 54 that's now went for signature to Governor Newsom. It's the first bill of its kind, and it asks venture capital firms to disclose their investments in women uh, and in other types of minorities in terms of what percentage they invest in in such founders and what amount of capital, and then how that compares with the amount of capital invested in non-minorities because there's obvious disparity, not only that less capital goes, but even what kind of capital gets awarded. I know also the same program exists, the same problem exists on the debt side. Shopify um, recently published an article where they talked about that banks do not award loans to female founders, thus preventing many small businesses from growing because not every business needs to go for venture capital. Most businesses do not. But if you don't get access to uh, debt, then you're very limited in uh, what you can do as a business. And um, Silicon Valley Bank was one of the banks that actually did um, award funding to female entrepreneurs, but often not on the same terms, on owner's terms. And because they didn't have any other options, they were forced to take those terms. So as part of my role in SBA, I would like to address that kind of disparity as well, because this is also discrimination just on the bank side, not uh, just on the VC side. So this bill focuses on VCs because before there was no regulation of prior private capital at all. Uh, and that's the first one of its kind. There is a similar bill being um, uh, pushed in Massachusetts. There was a call on Sunday that I've attended where uh, a state senator was there, state representative, and talked about the bill and her efforts to push it through. And I would like to do the same in New York as part of NSBA. I believe that um, policies need to complement the ecosystem support. We're creating ecosystem support with Power Up as well as many other programs that we're collaborating with. Uh, but it would be great if uh, that was complemented by what they are, uh, you know, by the lack of discrimination on that. Uh, as a law that would be passed by uh, governments, starting with the US, but then hopefully around the world at some point as well. So this is my role uh, with uh, NSBA, and I'm uh, beginning, you know, I'm learning about the lobbying efforts, and I'm putting a team together, a legal team and a, a founding team, investor team, to help me um, get it through. I think that's really inspiring. Honestly, um, I love that there's so much availability, though. And, you know, a lot of people don't think about debt as a way to fund their business. I, it's usually not on my radar, to be honest, because I know that with debt becomes, OK, you got to start making payments. I don't do they do they allow you to delay making payments like maybe one or two months so you can kind of organize yourself? Is that anything that they do? I know that wasn't a question I threw out there, but I'm pretty sure you might know the answer. Um, in terms of debt, you have to be in a certain uh, position of your business in order to be eligible for it. Right. Uh, in terms of your cash flow and in terms of your ability to repay. 
Um, will they allow delays? It depends on the terms of the loan. Uh, the terms of the loan are specified in the thing called covenants. Uh, and so covenants may require uh, you to maintain certain financial health of your company before the forced repayment. Uh, some loans uh, take a percentage of your revenue uh, every month, and they allow you to look for a lot of revolving credit lines where you can continue borrowing, similar to a credit card, just a bigger credit card. So when you like, a, a, I think it's a, a line of credit, right? Exactly. Revolving line of credit. So just like a credit card, just a bigger credit card. And um, so there are different, there are a lot of, uh, I would say, different uh, debt um, products. And then uh, you would need a finance person to help you choose which one is good for you. Uh, but also if you have a banker for your business, they may be able to present uh, with some of the options. I don't recommend that you only go with one option. You always should look at multiple options on the market to see what's uh, available and to choose the one that best fits your needs. And for that, you may want to get uh, financial advice because once you take a loan, you may, you don't want to get yourself in a position where you can't get out of it. Right. Or when you have to, uh, you know, drain your liquidity or have to put up your personal funds in order to repay an obligation or have to go bankrupt, right? So you, you don't right. want to be uh, in a position. Absolutely, you know, uh, for a lot of businesses, that is the way to go. Um, you know, the traditional uh, things that will get finances, working capital, let's say you extend credit to customers, so you have to buy inventory, you, uh, you know, can't get revenue uh, before you buy inventory. So you would want to get a loan instead of spending your own money. Similarly, if you have accounts receivable, which is your credit to customers, you sell something, but you don't get that money for a number of months, let's say three months, but in that time, you still need to run your business. So there are products available that allow you to extract money right away uh, for those things. That's a very traditional uh, form of financing. And then, of course, there, you know, you can just take a, like a revolving line of credit or uh, for other needs or just a general loan that will have a certain repayment date and interest payments. And sometimes interest payments, you can delay until the time the loan is due. And sometimes you would have to make them, make those payments on a certain uh, basis, let's say quarterly or semi-annually or annually. That depends on the terms of the loan. So I went to their website because you were talking about it. I love being able to like, while you're talking, sit here and go, oh, what about this? And check stuff out. So I looked this up, NFIB. Uh, national is that no that's not it national association nsba.biz is the website yeah. yeah and i'm i swear i was on it too but it took me to another place yeah so i love that they have so much information here but i also went back and I, i'm on the right page now anyway um the point being is that this is a really great resource and i really appreciate that you're sharing that with our listeners and that they can see, wow, they may not have thought about all of these ways that that can work for them, not necessarily be something they're afraid of or or think that it's not going to work at all. You know, I will say what I, I found out is I'm just beginning this process. This is a new thing for me to, um, you know, work with the government to, let's say, ideate a new law. Uh, it's a very exciting journey that I'm getting on that I feel very passionate about. Um, but what I was surprised to find out uh, from the call yesterday, I'm sorry, on, on Sunday, is that um, the uh, Massachusetts rep said, we are accessible, we want to hear about the problems. We want to hear from the constituents. 
So uh, reach out, tell us what's going on, tell us how you would like to solve the problem. Because oftentimes when you're in a government, you may not have the expertise that's required in order to create a solution that will work for the private sector, nor will you know as much information as somebody is dealing with that problem day to day. And of course, from their perspective, what does the government want? The government wants to generate jobs and stimulate economic growth. And guess what? If you allow for the best ideas to come forward, regardless of whether they generate by uh, minorities or women or men, doesn't matter, you will win as a government. Also, you want to solve a social economic problem where you'd like all of your constituents to be treated fairly, right? And so you kind of um, kill two birds with the same stone if you become uh, on the side of laws like that. That's the one that's being um, uh, housed in California right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a short break to acknowledge our sponsor, Transcend Network, and we will be right back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. So we're back to the second half of our show, where we focus a lot on the future of jobs and industries in 2030. And I know 2030 is on your radar also. So what do you think 2030 is going to look like? It's been a year later. So all of the forecasts, they've moved around, they've shifted. So we've been talking about things about money. What do you think it's going to be like? Um. Well, generative AI, I think, is the big thing that happened uh, in yep. the past year. And uh, in fact, um, as a computer scientist who's actually majored in artificial intelligence back in college, that's been a very interesting and worrying development for me. Mm-hmm. Because uh, when men, so there are good things about generative AI where a lot of things can be done better, research can be done faster. At the same time, uh, you want to be careful about what you're creating. And laws need to be created and policies need to be created to really monitor uh, what's being done. A lot of companies that are run by very smart people um, may have different motivations and people may have different motivations or even don't know what's going to happen out of their work. And so I think that this is a great thing that needs special care. And anytime man begins playing God, bad things happen. And um, on that side, you know, we're actually, um, one of my creative projects from the past came back. I am executive producing a movie. I know that's another thing that I'm doing. Somehow I find time for my passions that are important to me. And it is about ethics of entrepreneurship. And it is about what happens with men playing God. And it is about the price of success. And uh, how far do you go before you admit that you've gone too far? and you can't win. And uh, I think this movie is actually based on my idea that I conceived a decade ago, but it's even more relevant now than before because of generative AI, because of what's been happening with cryptocurrency and NFT market and the journey that they've gone on and so much fraud that happened uh, in the cryptocurrency market where there wasn't enough oversight and people uh, were driven by um, ego and... um, you know, greed instead of the desire to change the world and serve others, which is how you actually get money Mm -hmm. because uh, that's all connected. But if you are driven by money 
And if you are driven by your ego, you're not going to make the right decisions. And then bad things may happen as a result to you and to people around you and, and to others who your invention may affect. And so um, I think this is a very important uh, topic. Uh, and uh, we've begun talking about it uh, as part of the startup station. And we're going to keep talking about generative AI and the ethics of entrepreneurship going forward. Mm, I agree. That's always one of my questions about ethics. And when I say I agree, that we need to be putting more checks and balances in place. Like, because we can do this, you're absolutely right. When people start playing God, no matter what it is, bad things can happen because they're motivated by their own purpose, not by the greater picture. So on the side of ethics, um, I, I know that there are some groups that have already started forming around how to be using um, AI responsibly. And I saw a movie trailer that came out. I don't even know what the movie was for. It was last week and it said, we never should have let AI out of the box. You know, it's like an, an end of the world, an Armageddon, if you will, type of a movie. And I sat there and I thought, you know, you have to be able to, to see that that will happen, but there are ways that we can help manage it and grow. I look for some local groups that I could belong to, or even on a national level. I don't know if you know if there is any national, because you're you're kind of connected with the DC group and everything. Um, is there anything that's right out there that comes to your mind about, I haven't even Googled it, Ethics and AI, like on a national level, is the government doing anything or is there a group that's tackling this? And it's okay if you don't know. <laughs> so I, I'll be honest. I don't know. Uh, I have not gotten involved in that topic yeah. yet. On any well, neither topic. have I. And I just uh, popped but, that into my head. Yes. But I know that there are a number of companies that uh, agree to work with the government on creating policies that will monitor their activities. Uh, I mean, of course, OpenAI is one of them. Um, I I don't know which others. I would imagine Google and Microsoft, uh, they're also oh, yeah. doing a lot with AI, but there are uh, a lot of other ones. And so um, I don't know, you know uh, about specific organizations, but I'm sure that uh, one can easily find out if uh, one is interested and if uh, anyone feels inspired to do the same work that I want to do for fair exit to capital, but for generative AI, uh, it's very uh, inspiring to me as a citizen of the United States that one can go to the government and begin working with them directly on issues that are important. And in a few months, there can be a bill passed in California on, on a topic that you're passionate about. I think that kind of... Uh, uh, opportunity never occurred to me. It always seemed like, hey, you elect an official and then they do something kind of disjointed from uh, what I want and what I'm passionate about. But it sounds like that's an ongoing conversation. And so uh, if anyone is passionate about AI out there enough to actually take action, I, I think it's easy to take and it's easy to get involved. It is. And I just did a really quick search because, you know, I, I am very passionate about it and I'm I guess I'm kind of a little bit embarrassed that I didn't say something, but I'm going to push that aside and just go, I'm doing it now. So I looked it up while we're talking. It says uh, there is a group and it's UNESCO. Um, they recently released a global draft recommendation on the ethics of artificial intelligence 
And it's um, unesco.org. It, it is the Ethics of Artificial Intelligence, and it is a council. So I'm going to do a little bit more research on this. I think maybe we should co-write something. I think, uh, you know, I'm I'm open to it. Yeah, to yeah. Because I realize that one can do it. One can do it. And um, I think the key is because we have so many things going on is to put a team together. Mm -hmm. And not only that, uh, it will be better because there are more brains involved, but it will also distribute the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even Harvard Business Review, they wrote an article. It was up here. I don't know what the date is, but why you need an AI ethics committee in business I mean, definitely. Um, so Absolutely. I'm down for doing that with you if you're so inclined. So yes. we'll, we'll talk more offline on this. We'll side talk of more. It. We'll talk yeah. more. <laughs> we'll talk more on that one. I'm very, very interested in that topic uh, because I, I really see how it can impact our jobs. And that's where I'm, I raise that question usually with my guests and go, just because we can make automations more, uh, you know, make things faster for us, doesn't mean we should always get rid of it. Because there is this place where some people, I know I check out at a grocery store. I can self-check at any store now, a lot of stores, right? But there are some people that they're not going to be programmers. They're not going to be people that are scientists. They're not going to be, you know, in, in professions just because of some limitations, either in intelligence or Sometimes it could be a language barrier. It can be a whole lot of reasons. It can be because, you know, that's their age and they don't want to do it. It can be so many reasons. And just because we can make things more automated and eliminate people's jobs doesn't always mean we should. That's where I go. There's some McDonald's here in Florida, uh, Orlando, and you can go into it and there's not a single person there. You just go in, you order your food, it comes out and it's, you know, there's nobody managing or cooking that food. It's all run by, you know, machines. And I went, I don't like that. I wouldn't want to go to the McDonald's where there's not a friendly face smiling at me saying good morning. So that's the, that's the question that I go is just because we can doesn't mean we should. Um, I think with McDonald's, it's probably because you expect a face to see there, but imagine yeah. you were born in an age where that's just how stores operated. So that wouldn't be your expectations. You wouldn't feel that you're missing something. You would be sure. like, hey, let me get um, uh, the food and uh, um, and get out. Uh, I didn't know that there, uh, I've seen that there's limited stuff. I, I, there, I didn't see McDonald's in New York yet when there's no stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I can see from the business perspective, then that's uh, probably a lot of savings on that. It on can be because life. you're eliminating people, right? But again, I go back to the question, people. just because we can do it doesn't mean we should. And it also, I feel like it, uh, it begins to make us more in silos as people because we're not learning those social skills that we need to have when we either go out to eat and we we should be able to respect the fact that, oh, a person served me. There's, all, there's a person behind everything that's AI. We are creating our own future. I'm fully aware of it. But and I also like, feel like not everybody's yeah. gonna fit into those boxes that we, we say they're gonna be in technology. Right, absolutely. And so I think uh, people are concerned about how that AI is being trained because the people who are creating these data sets, they may have implicit biases. And so they're then creating AI that has mm -hmm. the same biases in a way that it operates. That's one thing. And another thing, you know, that you brought up that 
uh, you're going to eliminate jobs and then some people will just be left without prospects. And that's a huge problem on reskilling and upskilling the labor force. For example, the trucking industry is going through a major technological change. And if we're going to get to the point where those jobs are eliminated, what's going to happen with those hundreds of thousands of people that are going to be left really without a means to provide for their families? And um, I mean, I think from the government, that's a very big um, problem to think about. And when they think about education, when they think about social support, uh, because if they don't solve for that problem, if they don't start solving for this problem already, they're going to end up with uh, a very big social disparity that is going to lead to more crime and uh, unsafe neighborhoods, because what are people going to do? Or, you know, suicides and depression and, uh, you know, a lot of mental health illnesses, because people are going to be unhappy and people are going to turn to other means of occupying themselves that may not be productive. So I completely yeah. agree that, um, uh, you know, not only that we may lose uh, control of what's going on altogether, and that can be uh, a survival, you know, existential threat. There are, you know, some other economic and socioeconomic threats that can emerge even before that, which are just as drastic and can affect us significantly. You know, I really like this conversation. I would I would build a whole show around this conversation because I look at what real diversity is and diversity is representative of, of people that do not fit into what is either average or you know above average. There's a lot of people that are in, on the other side and we create the future that we're wanting. I believe that's part of why science fiction movies exist and, and it helps to for people to go, wow, I didn't think about that. And then they start going, oh, that's a great idea. We can, we can do this. We can do this with AI, right? So again, I, I guess I'm going to stand on the soapbox one more little time here as I go, my biggest concern, I go the best possible scenario and I go the worst possible scenario. When I think about these things, I go the worst possible scenario in my head is that we become something akin to such a futuristic society that we eliminate those people that have no purpose, similar similar to something that Hitler did. And in other areas of the world, I go, that that is my biggest fear. Yeah, or, uh, you know, it's going to be Gattaca because uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen the article in uh, uh, bbc.com where they were able to grow an embryo without using, uh, from stem cells, without using uh, um, sperm and, um, I forget in English, the egg. An egg, yeah. An egg, yeah. So without using the biological cells, they were able to grow an embryo from stem cells. and A human? It, that happened yes that happened a couple of weeks ago and that path of uh i think is very dangerous because then you kind of turn the course of you biology did turn in, you turned into god yeah you think you turn into you turn into god and uh, so either you create an artificial god or you became or you can create biological humans the way you want right and then uh, completely decide wow what kind of humans you want to create. And so, uh, and that is not good from the nature perspective that is always has chaos component um, presented. And then like we've talked about, it's the diversity that drives everything forward and innovation and creativity and uh, 
uh, for things to uh, get better. And if you start controlling that in any way, uh, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So we live in uh, interesting times. Uh, and um, I think everybody who wants can have the uh, responsibility and the option to do something that uh, that feels right. Yeah. Well, that was on on the cautionary tale side, but on yes. this side, we're going to finish in a more positive way. What is the best mentoring advice that you want to share with our listeners? And keep in mind, that is something I know you answered before, but we have so many little pieces of nuggets that we can share as mentoring advice. And I'm going to guess it would be uh, th the very same thing you just said. We are all able, if you're listening to this show and no matter what your age, we always have a choice. We are all able to determine those things. But what would you say is your best mentoring advice for our listeners? Um, I would say that um, we all have dreams. And mm -hmm. sometimes those dreams seem very big and unattainable. And I would encourage uh, everyone out there not to decide in advance what will happen within your dream and to go forward and pursue it. And for me, the way how I was able to more effectively overcome my doubts and my fears is to pursue a dream that was bigger than those fears that I felt so passionate about that I almost didn't care if I heard a no or if some path did not work out, that I believed that that dream was so important to make uh, happen in reality that I didn't care what it would take to get there. And it wasn't about me being right about pursuing a certain course of action or attaining a certain decision with my colleagues. It was about a bigger picture. And I think uh, if you have a dream like that, um, I would uh, I would just go do it because great things can happen when you feel fearless. I wrote, I was writing it down as you were saying it. Um, yeah, great things can happen when you feel fearless. Yes, I love this. And I just want you to know, um, you really inspired me. You gave me some inspiration where you did not even know. Encouragement is a good thing. Um, and what I liked is the fact that you said, when you have a dream that's bigger than your fears. Yes, <laughs> yes. Sometimes, I mean, that is exactly the dream that I have. That's why I started Employers for Change. And it is so big. And I just sat there and went, okay, but, you know, and it is what drives me. It is what drives and, me. So and thank then, you. And then your life has more meaning and it has more light and you get to meet so many interesting people that enrich your life further if you are driven by the dream that is bigger by your ambitions. Mm-hmm. I would say and then that has been my experience and the first my first experience was that when I produced the concert for Ukraine a year ago which we've talked about uh, in the first podcast and it continued uh, with power up and now it continues with other things that I get involved in that are all connected in my mind they're all part of the same thing whether it's a media project to bring um, forward aspects of ethics of entrepreneurship or its advocacy to create policy support for uh, fair treatment uh, of women and minorities or ecosystem support in the form of power up. It's all part of the same solution towards creating a better tomorrow. Mm. 
Well, I love this conversation. Now, we'll just remind our listeners, how can people find you? Because I'm copying your website onto the show notes. And I also pulled up your YouTube and also your company LinkedIn profile. But is there any other ways uh, that people can find you? Uh, the company website um, is a, a great way. You can book a 30-minute free uh, consultation call with me. Uh, you can also reach out directly on LinkedIn or my email, victoria at thestartupstation.com. I invite you to follow Power Up page to stay abreast uh, of what we're doing there. It's on LinkedIn. Uh, and then we'll also share a form to sign up to the mailing list for Power Up as we share uh, monthly updates on what's happening with the program and how you could get involved. Yes, please send me those links. Uh, I don't have them right, ha you know, really handy, but if you'll send those to me, I'll make sure they get onto the uh, show notes too that we share. Amazing. Victoria, Thank you so much. it's been so wonderful catching up with you. Uh, we'll continue the conversation offline. Uh, just so our listeners know that there's like look for stuff is what I can say, but um, so great. So great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Isabella, for allowing me a space where I can talk about the things that I'm passionate about in a very supportive and friendly environment. No, thank you. We want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank you to our video team, Gabe Laforte, Tommy Myers, Andrew Pagat, and Jalissa Hurtado. Our music is by Charles Lawrence Lead. Visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive culture while skilling your people for the future of work. Thank you for supporting The Intern Whisperer by subscribing to us on Podbean, our Employers for Change YouTube channel, or stream from your favorite podcast channel. And please leave us comments. We love comments and we love shares and we love it when you tag other people to have them listen.